I, I fear that, that some of you indoorsy members have been praying against our outside service. I, I, yeah, that's what I mean. And, and I think your prayers are stronger than mine because every time we plan something outside recently, it gets canceled due to rain. So here's what I need. The outdoorsy part of Open Door, would you pray with me that we will be able to enjoy God's creation next Sunday, 11 o'clock outside Deo Valente. You know what that means? Deo Valente. This is your Latin lesson for this morning. This is free, by the way. Deo means God. Valente means will. Wills with power, like a forceful, I wish this, I will this. So Deo Valente, the Lord wills. We will be outside. Bring your lawn chairs and invite a friend. Please invite a friend for our service. We'll have great celebration, baptisms, a picnic afterwards. And so next Sunday, Deo Valente. Um, uh, the kids were a blessing. And it reminds me of some really important things happening this summer. If you saw the sign out front, we're gonna have soccer nights for the kids. And we open that up to the entire community. And so bring your children, bring the kids in your neighborhood to soccer nights. It's a great way for us to love on the families of our community, to have fun with them and, and give them the gospel, invite them to a church if they don't have a church home. So we have hundreds of kids that come to soccer nights. Uh, we'd love for your kids to come, invite people. And if you want, help us. We'd love some volunteers. You don't have to be good at soccer. You just have to love children. And you can come out and help us at soccer nights. And then we're going to have a ton of missions opportunities coming up. Uh, we're going to be taking a team to Pittsburgh. Uh, youth and some of the adults here at the church will be going to Pittsburgh to serve one of our church plants. In the fall, we'll be uh, going to Columbia, South America. And, uh, and, and we've got a team that's going there to, to uh, do some English camp with the church we're partnering with. And when we've got open door members that are, that are attending each, we'd love for you to come and be on mission with us this summer. And if you can't make it, you can be involved by supporting. What, what I'm asking the church to do is for us to raise $10,000 for scholarships for these mission trips, because we have some members who wanna come, uh, airfare's getting a little expensive, and so uh, they're looking for some scholarships. We'd love to provide that. We've got some youth that wanna go to youth camp, uh, we're going to be doing a different youth camp this summer. Uh, one of our former pastors, Jamie Dew, is going to be speaking. It's going to be a great camp experience. We want all of our youth to go. Some can't afford it. So these scholarships will help them. Kay and I are going to give generously. Would you join us? And let's just raise $10,000. We should be able to do that pretty easy. Let's provide all the scholarships that we need for these children to go to camp and for those who want to be on mission. I'm super excited about the summer. All right, Numbers 11, Numbers chapter 11 and 12. Now, it's hard to find, but I, I really like listening to, to a good and a clean comedian. Again, it's harder to find these days, but, but if you ever listen to a good and a clean comedian, uh, I like the way that they just, they just laugh at, the, at how ridiculous we can be, right? Just, you know, the thing about a good comedian is, is they, they, they remind us not to take ourselves too seriously, which we tend to do. And, and, and one of the things that a comedian reveals is, is that there's something within us that likes to hear people complain because a good companion will sort of complain about stuff and, and we laugh about it, it would, which reminds us that there's just something in us that, that we like to complain. 
And, and just as a gifted comedian will cause us to laugh, there are some pretty gifted complainers, just to be honest. And I hope you're not one of them. If you are, then you've come to the right sermon this morning. Because complaining can be contagious as well. Complainers can infect others to become complainers. And, and what I want to do this morning as we look at the nation of Israel, and we see these people whom God has so richly blessed and redeemed, grumble and complain and rebel. I, I want for us to sort of dig down and find out what is at the root or what is at the heart of complaining. What is at the heart of complaining, especially as a Christian? Like why, why would a Christian ever complain? And then what does that tell you about what you believe about yourself and your circumstances? And, and more importantly, what do you believe about God? Because there really is a theological root at complaining. And so I need you to do some self-analysis here. How often do you complain? How much do you complain versus how much do you spend celebrating, living in thanksgiving, fighting for joy? And, and, and are you the type of person who, when someone is complaining, you like their company because you feel good complaining with someone? Misery loves company, and I don't know why, but you enjoy that miserable companionship. And, and, and maybe sometimes your complaining is contagious. So I wanna share with you from the stories in the book of Numbers, how our complaining reveals that for us, Christ is not sufficient, and, and that it reveals that we have a faltering faith complaining does not believe that God's plan for your life is perfect. It does not affirm that God knows what's best for you. And so I, I, I want us not just to hear about the nation of Israel. I really need for this message to translate to you and to your family and to our church. So let me catch you up to speed. And Nate did a great job introducing numbers. And, um, and, and now we're going to see the, the nation of Israel on the move. So uh, 430 years of slavery, God redeems his people miraculously and they walk across the Red Sea and they make their way to Mount Sinai and they spend a year there in Mount Sinai where Moses goes up the mountain to receive the law. And this law is ratified by the people. And now the Israelites know that they have a God who is holy and they know that they are to be holy. And they know to get there, they have to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves. And so now the redeemed people of God who have the law of God that teaches them how to be holy and how to love. Now the next step is for them simply to get to Canaan and receive the promised blessings, the, the covenant blessings that God had given to Abraham centuries earlier when Abram left his hometown and traveled a very, very long way to this land called Canaan. And God said to Abram, now this is yours. One day, a mighty nation will live here. Abraham, you will have a people 
and I promise them possessions and protection and preservation. It's gonna be all theirs. And now Israel had become a mighty nation, over a million people strong, a mighty military force. And they literally were just weeks away from being in Canaan. They were just a couple hundred miles from Sinai to Jericho. They were so close. I mean, if they all had cars, it's a seven hour drive. They had been in the promised land in seven hours. Walking briskly a week, if you're moving a million plus Jews with kids and a pretty big tent, let's give them a couple of weeks at most. Two weeks away. Two weeks away from a land flowing with milk and honey. Two weeks away from finally obtaining a land that had been promised to them. And all the blessings, it was like Eden reborn. Just two weeks away. But it will take them 40 years. Because they didn't have the faith. And they found themselves complaining over and over and over again. Back in chapter 10 and verse 33, Moses sets the stage. They set out from the mountain of the Lord on a three-day journey. Now they're, they're heading from Sinai now to Canaan. With the ark of the Lord, of Lord's covenant traveling ahead of them for those three days. And finally, to seek a resting place for them. Meanwhile, the, the cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, Arise, Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and, and those who hate you flee from your presence. And when it came to rest, Moses would say, Return, Lord, return to your people, the countless thousands of Israel. I mean, this, this had to be such an incredible sight. Because if you call there at Sinai, uh, they had been given instructions on how to build God a tent. Everyone's living in tents. And God said, I want to live in a tent. And so he gave detailed instructions about what the tabernacle would look like. Very elaborate. And the tabernacle was set up and then it had these curtain walls around it. And then Israel would then put up their tents tribe by tribe around them with Judah taking the lead. And, and, and they were there for over a year. And when they had established the tent and the Ark of the Covenant had been placed in the most holy place and it was secure, then God himself in all of his glory came down in a cloud and rested right there in that most holy place, right there on top uh, of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And the cloud remained there for a year. And, and the people received the law and they were learning how to live there in the wilderness. But then all of a sudden the cloud lifts. And the cloud moves. And now it's time to, to make your way to Canaan. That's the promised land. You're just weeks away. And so Moses says, okay, everybody get up, pack up your tents, pack up the tabernacle, cover the ark, let's go, blow the, the trumpets. And the trumpets were there to sound uh, off uh, that it's time to engage in a, in a military uh, uh, exercise. And, and, and sure enough, all the tribes up and the trumpeters in front, right behind them, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Why? The Lord is leading the way. The Lord is going in front of them. What have they to fear, right? Right behind them are 
tens of thousands of soldiers from the tribe of Judah, flanking them from Ephraim and the other tribes. What an incredible sight. And here's the glory cloud just moving in front of them. And so as soon as that cloud lifted and started to move, Moses would, would give this battle cry and he would say, Arise, Lord, you lead the way, you go in front of us. And whenever you encounter someone who is opposed to you or an enemy of you, which means they're an enemy of us, you scatter them from your presence. We're right behind you. We're following you. You lead the way. And then whenever the, the cloud of glory stopped and Moses said, okay, it's time to stop. It didn't matter where they were. When the cloud stopped, this is where they're supposed to rest. Set up the tents. Set up the tabernacle. Get the most holy place ready. Put the ark in. Uncover it. Okay, Lord. Return, Lord. Come back to us, Lord. Come rest with your people, Lord. This is, this is our God. He is a militant God. Our God is on mission. Like a military force, the church comes alongside him. But the church always says, God, you lead the way, God. I am here with you. I am fighting with you. You lead the way. You scatter your enemy. I want to be on mission for you. Every, if you're visiting here, you're going to hear us say at the end of our service, go with the gospel. That's exactly what Moses was saying. Go, Lord. You be on mission, and we're going to be on mission with you. And we're going to send you out at the end of this service. Go. Go with this gospel. Share it with the world. But then we're going to gather next Sunday outside, Deo Valente, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to say, come, Lord. Come with us. Rest with us. Be with us. Be with your people. That's our God. It's beautiful. And all they had to do, all they had to do was just follow the cloud for two weeks. But it would take 40 years because of their lack of faith. And they chose to throw it all away in order to complain about their circumstances, rather than to persevere, even, even through the hardships, to persevere with strength and with faith, with hope and with love. So here's the first lesson. Now we're in chapter 11. We complain because we cannot see the future like God sees it. That's why you complain. If you understood the future the way God understands the future, if you're a Christian, you would never complain. You would not complain if you understood your future the way that God does. In Israel, they could not see. I mean, they couldn't even see just a, a couple hundred miles ahead of them. They couldn't see. And so it says in chapter 11, verse 1, now the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. And when the Lord heard, his anger burned, and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. The righteous judgment of God mixed with the mercy of God. So three days. They can't contain themselves three days. In three days, they're already complaining about how difficult it was. They're already complaining about the hardship that, that it is. I mean, this, this mighty militant force 
of Israel with these tens of thousands of, of strong soldiers in three days, they were reduced to some, some weary children in the back of a car. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Are we there yet? That's what Israel had become reduced to. Which, by the way, children, you're not allowed to say that. That's called complaining. That's complaining. Of course it's hard to journey through the wilderness. Of course there's hardships. You don't think God doesn't know that? You don't think God actually hasn't ordained that for you? But Israel complained. He said, this isn't a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what you promised us. And, and, and if you'll notice, because we want to notice all of the words in the Bible, when they began complaining, they didn't do it like whispering to their neighbor. What does it say? They did it what? Openly and before the Lord. They saw the cloud of God's glory ahead of them. They faced that cloud and they said to God, God, why are you making us do this? They complained straight to the presence of God. I don't advise that, by the way. I don't care how difficult your circumstances are. I don't advise that you would ever complain to your creator, your father, but they did. And obviously this is gonna rise up within a holy and a righteous God anger and wrath, and it did. And so he sent fiery judgment, but in his mercy, he didn't consume Israel. He could have, he would have been just to do so. He just sent fiery judgment around the outskirts so that the people saw all of the land being consumed by fire. They became terrified. They stopped complaining and they started pleading. Pleading with Moses to ask God to save them from fiery judgment. And God responded, because Moses mediated and the fire went out. It wasn't time for fiery judgment upon the earth. There will be a time if you're here and, and you're not a born again believer, I, I can't tell you how much I'm grateful that you're here. I want you to know something. I say this because I love you. There is fiery judgment coming from God. It's coming. And it's going to come upon any and all of those who die in unbelief, like these Israelites who failed to place their faith and their belief solely, solely in their Savior. And so these people then, they cry out to Moses, verse two. Moses prays to the Lord and the fire dies out. And the place was named Tabarach, which simply means the Lord's fire has blazed among them. And now, so these few verses are gonna give us the model for the rest of the book of Numbers and the model that reoccurs in the book of Judges and also throughout the Kings and the Prophets because this just was the unfortunate tendency of Israel. But, but specifically in the book of Numbers, here's, here's basically what will happen from, from here on out. Israel doesn't like their circumstances and so they complain. They complain openly. 
God is angry by their lack of faith because complaining ultimately is unbelief. God is angry, like, why don't you get it? Why don't you believe? And so he punishes them and they face severe punishment. And eventually they're tired of the punishment and they then appeal to Moses, their mediator, the one who then is the go between them and God. They appeal to Moses, the mediator for help. Moses then will then appeal to the Lord to please relent his punishment, and God shows mercy. He hears Moses' appeal. He shows mercy, and then the place is given a name, hopefully to remind them, don't do this, but it didn't work. But there are tons of places with these names of when Israel rebelled or complained, and they just keep going through this cycle over and over and over. And every cycle of their rebellion is a reminder for us as the church not to do that not to be like that. Because the, the problem, friends, and here's the second lesson. The first lesson, we complain because we cannot see the future like God sees it. The next lesson is complaining is contagious and it is infectious. And if you're around it long enough, you become a complainer. You just have to be around it long enough. And the infectious nature of unbelief and complaining about God about your circumstances will then infect you. Verse four, uh, I like my translation. It says the riffraff. I love that. I love that statement. Yours might say something different. I really love this. The riffraff among the Israelites, right? This is the complaining group, the riffraff. Uh, yeah, don't, don't be that. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food other than, other than manna. And the Israelites, I mean, what babies? They wept again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt along with the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone and there's, there's nothing for us to look at except this manna. And so they, they're weeping and they're crying out, complaining about the bread of heaven that God had supplied them to sustain them. Now, again, it wasn't supposed to be their forever diet. My wife has me on a diet right now. And if you know my wife, she's serious about stuff. And I try not to complain. And I'm getting a bread-less diet, not a bread-every-day diet. I wish I had manna right now. Two weeks when they complain. They complain. Manna was God's gift to the nation. It came down from heaven. It symbolized the bread of life. We know is Jesus Christ. This manna wasn't bad. It basically was some sort of enriched, sweetened, self-rising flour. I mean, you could do a lot with it. You could have manna pancakes. You could have manna griddles. You could have, you could have, you know, manna loaf. You could let it rise and, and have manna bread. There, there, there was a wonderful provision of God, and, and yet these Israelites wanted more. They wanted more. And, and then, you know, off they go again complaining. Okay, now children, thank you for singing today. I'm going to tell you something. You are not supposed to complain about the food that your parents give you. 
when you complain about the food your parents give you, you are being ungrateful. You're basically saying to your mom and dad, I am not thankful for you. I am not thankful for you providing this food for me. Complaining about food is being ungrateful. And that is very displeasing to God. If you don't think God doesn't care about it, then you need to listen to me because God really cares when you complain about food or clothing or whatever you complain about. And, and honestly, young people, just let me remind you, if you think it is whatever cool is in your vocabulary, if you think it's like culturally appropriate as a young person to complain and you like being in the complaining crowd, you're a fool. Because what you're doing is you're basically saying to God, I am ungrateful. I am ungrateful. I'm verbalizing my unthankfulness. The other opportunity that you have is to be different and to be a witness. And you can really be a difference, young people. When you simply just don't follow a the crowd of complainers, all you're doing is being an Israelite. Maybe you would decide to be content and thankful. Adults, speaking to you as well. But now, now this is classic though. Here, here's the nation of Israel. They had been slaves for, for 430 years. Horrific life in slavery. And now they look back as if it was a Hilton Resort vacation. Uh, they talked to, they spoke about Egypt like an all-inclusive resort. Oh, remember all the free food that we had. Remember all the vegetables that we had. Oh, remember how great life was. Living in the mud, baking bricks for Pharaoh, being whipped, placed in chains, and, 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 and for, for gratitude, for compensation, Pharaoh takes our baby boys and throws them in the Nile River to watch them drown. Yeah, that was the life. And yet they became very nostalgic and grossly exaggerated what their former life was. 430 years of slavery, they said, is 10 times better than three days in the wilderness. Really? Really? Is this not a reminder, friends, of how quickly we tend to adapt history in order to fit our narrative of reality? Like, I know, love you enough that if you come to me for counsel, I'm not going to assume your understanding of reality is God's reality. Or your understanding of how things went or how the circumstances all came together is correct. Because I know human nature. I know I have a sinful nature as well. I know how easy it is to adapt history in order to fit my narrative of reality. This is why I don't recommend you watching any news anymore. And this is why I'm now struggling with what our children are being taught in schools. Because it is just too easy to adapt history to fit a particular narrative. And that's exactly what Israel did. Are you kidding me? It was better in Egypt? Now, let me speak to my age and older. Us wonderful aging people. 
Quit talking about the good old days as if they were good old days. Yes, things were, there were some things different. They weren't as good as we make them out to be, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Let's, let's make sure that, that we're very careful of not falling into the trap of the Israelites. Let's, let's remember what we've been redeemed from. Let's have a future-oriented outlook, as Jesus told us. But the Israelites, they, they couldn't do it. They, they failed to remember how God had redeemed them from the shackles of slavery. They failed to remember how God's faithfulness had, had kept his promise to free them. They'd rather complain about the bread that came down from heaven than all that God had done. They, they were no better than Veruca Salt. Do you remember Veruca in the original Willy Wonka movie? The best Willy Wonka movie? I don't get the new ones. And, and, and again, the first one wasn't perfect either. The Oompa Loompas were really weird and scary. I, I understand that. But I like the storyline. I, I love to hate Veruca, this spoiled rich girl, remember? And she demanded the golden egg and she wanted it right now and she wanted it more and more and more and more and she sung a song about it. I want it now, I want more. She was Israel. But may she never be us as the church. May it never be, may it never be being content. I, this is years ago, decades ago, I, I went on a mission trip to Kenya and um, there's a, past, a bunch of pastors there and churches and we're there to help them and we're trying to serve them. And I was talking to my friend, I was supposed to give a formal introduction and I said, okay, well, can you tell me something culturally that would be appropriate? I mean, like what, what would be a very common favorite food? And he said, well, maybe the most common food would be uh, nyomachoma. So okay, nyomachoma, say that right. So I'm introducing myself to all these pastors and people because we're gonna be spending a couple of weeks with them and that and so grateful to be here and we're here to serve you and I look forward to eating Nyoma Choma with you. Um, yeah, I just threw that out there, which was a huge mistake because uh, Nyoma Choma is old goat stew, like old ratty skinny goats in Kenya and they make it into a stew. And, and the people, because there's always, you know, a bit of contextualization and translation, they thought what I was saying is, I really want to eat this every time I see you. <laughs> Breakfast. Lunch. And dinner. For two weeks. Old goat stew. And man, did I feel like an Israelite at times. <laughs> their complaining eventually infected their leader, Moses. Verse 10, Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents. The Lord was angry at the people. Moses was also provoked. He got infected by complaining and he starts complaining. But he's not complaining about food, he's complaining about the people. So Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought, notice all the I's and the me's and the my's in this. 
Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought such trouble on me, your servant? Why are you angry with me? Why do you not burden? Why do you burden me with all of these people? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? So you should tell me, carry them at your breast as a nursing mother carries a baby to the land that you swore uh, to give to your ancestors. Where can I get meat to give all these people? For they are weeping to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. They're too much for me. If you are going to treat me like this, please kill me now if I have found favor with you. And don't let me see my misery anymore. My goodness, that's Moses. Infected with the spirit of complaining. I mean, it's like he became Job all of a sudden. And all he could do was dwell on the circumstances. I didn't give birth to these people. I'm not their mom. Sounds like my football coach. Like, you know, day one in football, I'm not your mother. Let's get that straight. I, I got it then. Moses is doing the same. Moses was a good mediator. He, he really was. But in this moment, he was unwilling to be the mediator that the people needed. Moses was a, he was a faithful prophet. But he was also a sinful man. That's why if you read the Old Testament rightly, it's always pointing to a better mediator. It's always pointing to a better prophet. It's always pointing to a better priest. It's always pointing to Jesus. All this reminds us is that Moses failed as a mediator, but Jesus would succeed. Jesus would succeed. Let me, let me tell you something about our savior. According to Hebrews, there is never a time ever, I don't care how sinful you get, there is never a time if you are sincere in your prayer and you want God to hear you, there is never a time that Jesus will not take that prayer to God the Father. I don't care how, how far you go. If you know my testimony, I went away, away for a while. There's never a moment that our high priest and our mediator will not plead on our behalf to God the Father. He's better than Moses. He's better than Moses. And, and, and yet the Lord understood. And so in verse 16, God uh, gave Moses a, a help. He, he told Moses, I want you to, to gather 70 elders, wise leaders from all the tribes, and bring them to me, and, 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 and you can even, this is rare, bring them right into the tabernacle, bring them right into the tent of meeting, right in the holy place. And, and I'm going to then anoint them to be your helpers. They're gonna help mediate between me and the people. And Moses desperately needed the help. And so he chose 70 elders. And, and in many ways, uh, this sets the model for Israel to have a plurality of elders who provide oversight and shepherding for the people, just like in the New Testament church, 
we have elders who also provide oversight and shepherding for the people. Like, I love you all. There's no way I could shepherd all of you by myself. I'm, I, I'm so dependent upon the other pastors here. And I hope you, I hope you honor them uh, as I do, because it takes a plurality of elders to care well for a church, especially a church our size. And, and Moses uh, and these elders gave the example of that, but there's something interesting if you'll, if you'll look um, there in verse 17, um, where uh, he says, I will come down and, and, and meet them, and I will take some of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, who is on you, Moses, and I will put the Holy Spirit on them. They will help you bear the burden. There's always an interesting thing to me as to how the Holy Spirit worked and ministered in the Old Covenant compared to how the Spirit of God ministers and works in the New Covenant. Because in the Old Covenant, not everybody got the Spirit. Not everybody was indwelled with the Spirit. And even now we see Moses, who was full of the Holy Spirit, some of that ministry of the Holy Spirit left Moses to go on to these elders. And, and Moses found that to be very important because how can you know what God's will is and how to lead unless the Spirit of God is, is on you? And, and what I find, it's, it's striking to me that even, even uh, Joshua had a problem with this because he didn't want anybody to take Moses' place, but Moses said, no, this is good. And then he made the statement in verse 29. Moses said, if only all of the people had the Spirit on them, man, then they would all understand. What was he doing? He was basically foreshadowing us because in the new covenant, what happens? We all get the spirit. We all are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We all get it. We are all a royal priesthood, all of us together, not just me. We all have the spirit. We all know God's will. Okay, now. What does that mean if you complain? How do you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and yet believe or choose to complain? And Moses, he said, I wish everyone had it. Well, well what happened after this? The Lord simply said, okay, <laughs> these people want meat, I'm gonna give them meat. And a strong wind blows from the sea and blows in this horde of quail, like so thick you couldn't even see. There were so many quail, it covered the land like waist deep. There was, there was more quail, more meat than the people could even imagine. And it's, it's kind of gross, but it says in the text that while there, the meat was still stuck in their teeth. The Lord just saw their rebellion and their selfishness. He sent a plague. It started to kill all of them. And then again, they complain, plead to the mediator. The mediator pleads to the Lord. The Lord shows mercy and, and ceases. And I wish the complaining was over. Chapter 12 is basically a story of Moses' own brother and sister complaining. Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister. And, and they don't like the choice that Moses made on who to marry. He married it on Israelite, and they're complaining about it. And they don't like the fact that, that, that God only speaks 
to Moses. And they're like, what? I mean, I'm your, I'm Moses's brother. I'm Moses' sister. I mean, we should be able to speak with the Lord, right? Why won't the Lord reveal his presence to us? Why do you only get to, to see the presence of the Lord? And so Moses says, I got my brother and sister now complaining. What do you do? He says, bring him in the tent. Mm -hmm. Bring him in the tent. Do you want to see my presence? I'll show my brother. You want me to speak to him? I'll speak to him. So, okay, brother and sister, let's go in the tent. They go in the tent. Now the the, the, the cloud of glory rests inside the tent and they hear the voice of God. And the voice of God says, who do you think you are? Your brother is the most humble and faithful man here. He's the only one that I will reveal my presence to. You wanna hear my voice? Here it is, you won't hear it again. The cloud of glory leaves and as soon as they can see again, Miriam is white with leprosy. She's got leprosy all over her body. And what does she do? <laughs> Pleads to her brother. What does Aaron do? Pleads to Moses. What does Moses do? Pleads to the Lord. The mediator mediates. And Miriam just has to go for seven days time out outside of Israel. Get your head and your heart straight. And my friends, this becomes the pattern for Israel. Now, what do we do with that? I want you to know this is really important that I'm just not teaching you history, Bible history here today. I want you to know that everything that happened in the book of Numbers was written for you and me as a part of the church. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because the church of Corinth was a messed up church, complaining, divisive. Like many churches today who are getting eaten up by disunity, and complaining. And so Paul is writing to a dysfunctional church and he's basically saying, don't you understand that everything that Israel experienced was written down for us so that we would not imitate them. Listen to these words, 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 11. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. We'll get to that story later. Israel when they grumbled and complained, they were testing Christ. Paul is saying to the church, church, when you complain, you are putting Christ to the test. You are basically saying, Jesus, you are not sufficient enough. Yeah, I want you, but I want more. Don't put Christ to the test as some did and don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them, Israel, as an example, and they were written for what? Our instruction. They were written for us. On whom the end of the ages have come. We are living in these last days. <laughs> the promised land is just so close. The promised land is just right there. Heaven is just right there. Why would you complain? Why can't you see it? Why can't you just deal with the hardships? Why can't you just persevere? We're at the end of the age. Canaan is so close. Why would you complain? You see, now, do you get it now? Our complaining shows us that Christ is not sufficient. It reveals a failing faith. 
complaining does not believe that God's plans are perfect. It does not believe that God knows what's best for you. This is not an ethical issue. This is not a moral issue. I'm not asking you to be a good person. I'm asking you to be Christ. This is a deeply theological issue that deals with sin. Stop complaining. Don't put God to the test. Don't reject God's sovereignty. And remember, complaining is contagious. It's just going to encourage others to complain. But, but thanksgiving is contagious. Gratefulness is contagious. Joy is contagious. And celebration is contagious. So why don't we choose these? to be joyful, to celebrate, not complain. Don't grumble. Why not just show grace? Now you start doing this today and tomorrow. Now you're going to live on mission. Do this in your workplace. When, when, when the, the contagion of complaint starts affecting the entire workplace, why don't you not be a part of it? Why don't you show grace? Why don't you show gratitude in your homes? Dads, dads, if your kids complain, they learned it. What are you modeling? What are you modeling? Moms, remember the Proverbs, moms? I'd rather live in the desert than in the home of a nagging and complaining wife. What are you modeling? No, to live on witness is, is to live with a sense of, of celebration and joy. And ultimately, God wants his people to be content. He wants you to be content. Let me leave you with this. Philippians 2. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Father, forgive us we're too often being like Israelites rather than like Christians. Father, forgive us for complaining rather than choosing contentment and joy. Father, we are reminded today that Christ is all sufficient. We, we don't need anything else except Jesus, but we desperately need him. And maybe someone here today for the first time will claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that would be the case. Father, remind us that our future is secure. There's no need to fail in our faith. When Christ went to the cross for us, he never uttered a complaint. May we deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.